my stereo to mono and mono to stereo conversions on this day, not the greatest, but you know what is great? ACDC is great. Anytime we can open the show with ACDC. It's a long way to the top. Yes, sir. See, he knows it. Hunter knows it. We, we, we both, I think, were born before this song came out. Or after this song came out, much right? Much after. Much after? Much after. Okay. But, yeah. uh... Well, you're, you're, a 90, the, you're a 90s kid, right? Yeah, 91. Okay. I'm, if, a, I'm a late 80s kid. Yep. If you're from the Midwest, which I am, if you are in the white demographic, which, unfortunately, I am, it's kind of uh, natural that you listen to a lot of ACDC growing up. I guess so. Yeah. I guess so. Uh, it is off the bench, by the way. Hunter Hughes, Josh Pacheco, ESPN, Honolulu. Uh, great to have you in. This is a busy show today. Uh, Elimale McFarlane is going to join us. Uh, Bellator announcing last night uh, two new shows coming here to Oahu in April. Uh, I know she was in earlier today with Kanoa and mm. uh, and Billy, so uh, we're bringing her back. And uh, we'll, we'll spend a couple of segments with her. I, I think um, you know a couple of things that I, I do want to talk about with them to a degree um, – Bellator's done a great job of, with their two shows, making sure you've got one for the troops, one for the first responders, the servicemen and women. Um, they have been awesome when it comes to that. And uh, Friday show, uh, which is April 21st at the Blaisdells, free for military first responders. And then they've got that Saturday show where the uh, the Bantamweight World Grand Prix Final is going to take place, and Ali Malay McFarlane is... Uh, uh, is going to be part of the main card of that. There are some uh, some local athletes who will be on that Saturday card, uh, that Bellator 295, and uh, I'll, I'll ask her about kind of her influence uh, yeah. when it when it comes to those, and, and we'll we'll talk some personal stuff with her too. I, I know this has been the last week, maybe the last couple of weeks. Um, you know, some of the the away from the cage stuff. The the person she she's been vulnerable. I, I think yeah. when it comes to. Um, you know, her childhood, um, you know, some of the, the, the off-putting things that happened to her and others. And um, she's been very – she's been an open book about that, and, and we want to talk about that with her a little bit because uh, there was some news on that last week. And, and to get her reaction to that, we will, we'll do that coming up a little bit later on. Uh, Harrison Kuroda is going to come up, top of the 4 o'clock hour, University of Hawaii Baseball is uh, coming up Friday, Saturday, Sunday, or potentially Saturday, Sunday, Monday, depending opening on weekend. the weather. Yeah. yeah, opening weekend. I'm I'm bummed. Um, I I had said to myself, you know, I don't want to miss opening night. You know, uh, going into what is this now? Year five for me for baseball, mm. and I I had said I don't want to miss opening night. I want to make sure I'm there. I'll, I'll deal with the 11:59 flight out and making sure I get there. You know, you get to California in time, but I don't want to miss opening night. And then Mother Nature says. Josh, you're probably going to miss opening night uh, because There's of the a weather. Kona low. Yeah, that Kona low is expected to be pretty gnarly. Uh, there's a flash flood watch from Thursday through Saturday afternoon. So uh, I know some contingency plans were talked about today uh, about potentially moving the series back a day if the weather's that bad. So that means I'd miss opening night, which would be uh, just a, a, a bummer. If that were to happen, uh, but we'll talk with Harrison Kuroda. We'll, we'll get a little bit of a preview for this UH baseball team coming up in a little while. And uh, the NBA All-Star Weekend is coming up next weekend. And I know already uh, we get into the joke of the NBA All-Star festivities. We've got to get into that uh, coming up in uh, in just a little while here on the program. Of course, you can get in touch with us. You can uh, text us at 808-296-1420. Call us at 808-296-1420 and tweet us. I'm at Josh on the radio. You are on Hunter at... 
All around ass. That's uh, ATH for those that don't know. Some of that sound, by the way, uh, wall of sound. I didn't get to mention earlier. Championship parade today. Uh, Andy Reid, Chiefs head coach, saying it's not very often you're able to say you're the greatest team. Uh, you had Travis Kelsey. Of course it was Travis Kelsey. He was the guy being censored because only Travis Kelsey would be. And, uh, and, and right at the end of that, uh, you had Todd McShay. Todd McShay was talking a little bit about the uh, the Indianapolis Colts and maybe their idea of moving up to number one. Uh, Jim Ursay has talked very openly about liking Bryce Young as they uh, announced their head coach within the last couple of days. And so, you know, whether it's a uh, smokescreen, whether it is just trying to put stuff out into the universe, I, I, I don't I don't know what it is. But, um, you know, they've, they've talked a little bit about, uh, you know, maybe Bryce Young. Maybe. We'll see. Um but uh, you, you know it's when it's the championship parade. You know how fun that is? When uh, you're Patrick Mahomes. Yeah. And I, I, I don't know if you saw the video on this. But you're Patrick Mahomes. You have to go use a, a, a porta potty And everybody's waiting outside for you. You get security around and everything. And you get out of there. And they're giving you a, a loud ovation for exiting the, the portable facilities. <laughs> They're along the parade route because we know everybody's got to go. Man, number uh, one, <laughs> number one. <laughs> uh, but you know, the, the the weirdest thing about that video was I was I was watching that video. I don't know why because it showed up on on my feed. Someone raced to go in there right after that. I don't know why. Like oh, literally, my door opens. Someone just races to go right in. Like, I don't know if there's something you wanted to grab a collector's item of in there so you could get autographed later. I, 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 I don't know. But uh, the, the notable part is Travis Kelsey saying, uh, we are a dynasty. Uh, Travis Kelsey put that out into the universe. Um, we talked about it a little bit when we talked about the, uh, the New England Patriots. And I, I don't recall, if I recall the conversation correctly, yeah. um, you know, you were kind of talking about you know the Patriots side, but I don't think I don't think we ever got to the word dynasty, right? I think we kind of shied away from it, right? Uh, for me, for sure. Yeah, I I just I'm not a real big fan of that. Uh, if we get north of four championships, just looking at all of sports, you know, the the Bulls weren't a dynasty until they had a three peat. Okay. Um, in the, a similar fashion, we weren't talking about the Patriots being a dynasty until roughly about their third one. I like to think. Three, four, north of that dynasty. Same with the Golden State Warriors. We weren't talking about that until their third championship. Really, like a couple great years. Yeah. But uh, I, I, I want at least three rings. Now, I, I believe you considered three out of four appearances in the Super Bowl. I do. Yes. Yeah. As, yeah. as being up there. So, and it, it I, I don't want to take anything away from them. They are the team of now. Of the, the last five years, they are absolutely, other than, no, they are, in my mind, the, the strongest team uh, that's out there right now. So, hey, Tra Travis is putting it out there. I know you're, we you're, give it to you're it's like you're close. It's like, do you want to say one more year? Is that what it is? One more year? Now, I, I'm trying to give myself that cushion because I think they're going to be back. Yeah. And I know we're going to be hearing media talking about Oh, the dynasty for the next 10 years. Mm -hmm. So I'm allowing myself the time before dubbing them dynasty just yet. I see. 
I, I changed the, um, the definition based on sport because every sport I think okay. has a, a different expectation of when you get to that point. So like, for example, basketball, when, you know, in, in Jordan's years, yeah, yeah the expectation was going to, was going to be that they were going to get there every year, but there wasn't the, I, I don't, I don't think there was the same level of competition um, that would go up and challenge them. Um, I think you have it a little bit more now in the game. There, it's it's a little more, uh, it's a little tougher to get to the finals. You know, this is not like uh, Warriors Cavs nineteen when yes. we, you know, when totally. we had LeBron and and uh, and and Steph, and, and and that kind of watered down any conversation. It, it, the conversation was there because they were teams that were getting there, but it watered down the conversation because it was like it's the same teams getting there every year. And mm. while that can be, you know difficult to do in a grueling 82 game schedule you you're still doing it but it's it's like people were already penciling it in before the season started okay we're gonna see Steph and the, and the Warriors and LeBron and the Cavs and we're gonna see them get together in the NBA finals it's yeah. like it's 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 about time just wait eight months and it's gonna happen um it's so difficult in football um yeah and, and that's why I I'm willing to kind of adjust the dynasty rules in football because if you can get there three years out of four, mm. um, that is really, really good. Now we are encroaching on Brady Pat's territory when you're getting there all the time. And, and and to me, it's it's less about whether you win it. I mean, it's helped that they've won two out of uh, of those three. The Patrick yeah. Mahomes has a winning record, um, you know. But when you're in that conversation and in in a, in a league that is so tough. People talk about Super Bowl hangovers or overs all the time. We don't talk about that as much in Major League Baseball. We don't talk about that as much in the NBA. That when you crack that in the National Football League, um, it, it's uh, you know it, it, that's a that's a major accomplishment in my book. What would you dub, you know, teams like the Patriots who were appearing in Super Bowls for the better part of a decade? Dynasty. The '90s Chicago Bulls better part of a decade the boston celtics of the the 70s into the you know the early 80s mm-hmm. um where i i agree maybe dynasty you're you're considering i'm just curious what that time frame is so i think in football um you know in a, in a four-year span if you get to play in the big game three times out of four and you're winning a majority of those and as tanner reminds us i mean you're in the last five you're hosting the last five afc championship games as well that's two. i mean yeah. that's that's incredible um that's that's a hard feat to top yeah so that that's a dynasty to me i can look at it at a four-year span basketball um you know, you, you talk about those those Jordan years. You know, the, those Jordan years in the '90s were not just you know, three years in a row yeah. um, or, or two years in a row. We were talking what six rings in however many years yes. in, in that decade. That's an awful lot. Um, the it was, Patriots it was six out of eight. Yeah, that's right. I mean, that's 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 awfully incredible. The, um, the, the Jeter Yankees in the late '90s, early 2000s. You know, they they had four rings. I think it was four out of six. Yeah. Um, that was in a in a. I'll, I'll stop on baseball because okay. that was at a point in time where the Yankees were dominant, and there wasn't as much, I think, parity in Major League Baseball as there is now. Um, it is harder to do. We've seen some teams go through like fire sales and stuff, after, mm. like like the Marlins, for example, when they would get there. 
Uh, and now the Yankees aren't even consistently there. Um, they get close. They just don't get far enough. Um, you know, Patriots, you know, part of it was was getting to the Super Bowl. Part of it was also the consistent winning, even if they didn't get to the Super Bowl, that you knew every year you could pencil them in as the AFC East champ. Without question, they were there all the time. Totally. Uh, let's, see, let's, let's see what John thinks about this conversation. John, how are you? Yeah, you know, I heard you talking about Kansas City being a dynasty uh, a few days ago. You know, I, I I don't consider them a dynasty yet. I think they got to win one more. I mean, it's yeah, they they two out of four years, but that that's a little that's a little too less for me to say. A little less than I would say as a dynasty. They didn't they didn't never win one anymore for the next twenty years. Are we going to look back at them and say, oh, yeah, those two wins are a dynasty compared to who? Compared to the Patriots run of better part of two decades? No, it's going to be rough, I think. So not a dynasty yet. But if they win another in the next two, three years, I'll consider that. Okay. Hey, uh, thanks for the call, John. Appreciate you listening. That, that's, that's interesting because the bad boy Pistons, they won mm-hmm. two. Do we consider that a dynasty? I think not in the NBA. I think I in the agree. NBA, you got to go longer than that. But I think the NBA gives you a lot more time. Um, the NFL's you know, short, uh, your, your shelf life of being competitive in the NFL is usually a lot smaller. Uh, you know, I, I, I go back to what John said. Yeah. And, you know, John has, um, you know, John talks about the, um, you know, the Patriots. It's like, is that the standard? Is, is the dynasty standard now? If you're not what New England was, you can't be there yet. Like we we can't we can't chart it a different way. We got so spoiled by what Brady and Belichick did over all that time that that is a dynasty and nothing else can be unless you get there. Yeah, I mean it's uh, that's the interesting thing about this conversation is you almost have to have an upper echelon for those all-time dynasties. I would put the Patriots in one of those yeah. with the Bulls, with the 70s, 80s Boston Celtics. Those those teams belong in kind of a conversation where I don't know if we have another word besides dynasty. Mm-hmm. But they do deserve, in my opinion, special consideration than those two, three-off uh, year teams. Right, right. Elima Lay McFarlane, I see she has come through the door. Uh, we'll bring her in studio. In fact, we'll, if, if they're ready, we can bring her in a little bit early. Uh, we'll do that coming up. She's here. Of course, Bellator is back in Hawaii as the announcement was made. Uh, coming up April 21st and 22nd at the Neil Blaze Del Arena. Uh, so we'll talk with Elima Lay McFarlane coming up in a little bit. And don't forget, a week from today, it is the really big road show at Growler Hawaii. Uh, a really big road show, number eight. We've already lined up some good guests. We're going to be lining up a few more here over the next week that will join us from 5 to 7 p.m. right off of Kapahulu with uh, great conversation, a lot of drinks, about a, about 100 on tap, and a great poo-poo as well. Try the flatbreads. Uh, really, really good. Uh, it's at Growler Hawaii and Kapahulu, the really big road show, 5 to 7 p.m. That is next Wednesday here on ESPN Honolulu. Josh Hunter here at ESPN Honolulu off the bench.
Sports Center update is just about nine minutes away. Hunter Hughes, Josh Pacheco, and uh, Elimale McFarland joining us in studio here uh, off the bench. ESPN Honolulu, good to see you. Hi. Again, Long it's only been a couple hours. <laughs> <laughs> she was here earlier with uh, with Kanoa and uh, Billy Hall from the Honolulu Star Advertiser on uh, on Let's Talk Sports. You've the last what twenty four hours? How many of these have you done? I think this is like my seventh one today, but it's all good. You know why? Because we are two months out from the fight. This isn't fight week. Fight week is when it's like, yeah, yeah. you know, you're cutting weight and then you have to do these interviews. So I'm in a good mood right now, basically. Well, I, I've, I've, <laughs> I've, done, somebody. Yeah. I've done these interviews with you on fight week. I still remember the one at the, uh, I think it was the Hilton, right? A couple uh-huh. of years ago outside. Um, Though I know those aren't easy. You were in a. You were great to us then. Um, when it comes to these, like I, I know it, it gets so. Sometimes it can be really tiring when you're asked the same thing. Um, but what is the most exciting about having these kinds of interviews a couple of weeks out? Because for you, I mean, this is this is coming back home, but this is also a sport you love. So, what's the most exciting about this as you as you make this run through all these interviews? Dude, I love press tours. I love <laughs> the media. Believe it or not, you know, I know like some fighters, they, they don't care for that, but I really love this stuff. And I think um, I look at it too that, you know, this is a wave that I'm riding. It's not going to be around forever. And mm. so I need to um, enjoy it while it lasts. You know, it's not every day that people are wanting to interview you <laughs> and like promote your, what you're doing, what you're passionate about. So I, I love this stuff. Um, but like I said earlier, I'm, I'm in a much better mood than during fight week. Cause yes, fight week can be pretty taxing. Primarily the weight cut is what is, you know, that's our number one focus really is fight week because if you don't make weight, you're not fighting. So when we have to, you know, we're in a calorie deficit, we're dehydrated, we're running every day. And then on top of that, we have to go talk to the media. It might get overwhelming for some. Um, but I think, yeah, last time we spoke during fight week, I, my weight was really good. So I wasn't too nuts. <laughs> <laughs> Bellator 294, uh, Friday, April 21st, live on Showtime at the uh, Neil Blaisdell Arena. That is free for military and first responders. Bellator 295, Saturday, April 22nd. You are on that card. Uh, also live on Showtime. Tickets will be available uh, very soon. By the way, with, with, when did you first feel like that you knew you were comfortable? Like, I, yeah, I could go over to a uh, television station and then go to the radio station and talk to print. Like, when, when, did, when did you feel really comfortable knowing, yeah, I, I love this stuff? Uh, in high school. She's a natural. <laughs> yeah, no. natural. I, I actually used to host my school. So I, I went to Puna Hall and I used to host Puna Vision, which was like a student produced right. little channel thing. So if you guys, um, I think it actually might be on YouTube, but I do host some of the segments. And so that's, I was, I've always kind of been comfortable in front of a camera and like on a mic. Um, but I will tell you that when I rewatch stuff, I'm always cringing. I'm like, oh, I hate my voice or, oh, I don't like how I look. So it's I try not to rewatch stuff. I, <laughs> th- that's why I'm on radio. Yeah. <laughs> I don't like to see myself. So yeah. I, I have seen, I mean, I've, I've done some high school games and I've seen the Puna Vision folks there mm-hmm. calling games. Did you get to call games at Puna Vision? You know, I didn't do any live commentary. Okay. I don't think I did, but I I produce stuff i feel i shot stuff so i was like very much in the visual productions department uh back in high school yeah i i and act, i at one point thought that that was what i wanted to get into 
Um, but no, I never did any commentary until I started fighting. And then that's when Bellator actually gave me an opportunity to start doing some live commentary and broadcasting. And um, that too, I felt comfortable with. Um, so yeah, that's definitely something I would like to explore, you know, post fighting. Yeah, I was about to ask you, like, is that something you feel like you could go into full time? Because, I mean, you have so many interests in so many different places, right? You feel a, a, there, there's a full time opportunity there, cage side or, or, or at a set, you know, on the set side, you know, side of the cage, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And especially with Bellator, you know, I'm one of their homegrown fighters. And um, truly, I, I see myself continuing uh, my our, our professional relationship as well. Um, even post fighting. So if they were to offer me a full-time job, like on the broadcast production side, I'd be like, heck yes, that I'm in. Mm. But I do think that what I offer is extremely rare. It's something that they don't have. I'm, I'm an actual female fighter, um, that can provide like actual insight that, you know, I was in there. I, I experienced it myself. And so we don't see too many female broadcasters who were actually fighters themselves and you know were able to reach the the levels that I have so I think that's what I offer to them that's very unique and valuable um totally pitching myself right now so Bellator <laughs> if you guys are in. listening uh I'm your girl but it's all good you know I, I definitely have a lot of other projects that um are on the horizon for my post fight chapter I was, it was funny. I was talking to CJ earlier, and uh, he said to me, and I was like, you know, I never, I never thought about this because you, like, like I said earlier, you have your hands involved in so many different things. Um, he said, I wouldn't be surprised if she got into politics one day. <laughs> yeah. Yes, actually. Oh, so, really? So, uh, sh- uh, shout out to CJ Tuttle. He's my. <laughs> he's in uh, the other room. Yeah, he's in the other room. He is uh, my publicist, and and you know, is on the PR team with Bellator. And it's so funny. CJ and I have literally like we first got into the company to Bellator at the same time, and we like worked our way up. And uh, he was with me on my first press tour for Bellator Hawaii, and we had an amazing time. And he's been with me, you know every step of the way and so we were kind of being nostalgic on this trip and we're just like dude this might be the last one for us you know but anyway um yeah so my plan with cj if i do run for politics he's going to be my campaign manager uh and i told him i was like hey you know you're gonna have to move to hawaii then if that happens he's like i'm ready i'm like okay yeah he's already accepted by the local community we affectionately call him cj cuttlefish um (laughs) Yeah, he's he's the best. I love that guy. So politics has been something that people have asked if I would be interested in. And, um, you know, it's not it's not out of the question, um, but it, ah, man, we need some know. tattoos at the Capitol. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we do. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I think, yeah, it, it, it would be, you know, my brother in law actually just um, got elected to OHA. And mm. so. I think, you know, seeing that, oh, he can do it. I can definitely do Absolutely. it. Shout out to Keone Souza for OHA. Um, <laughs> <laughs> good, okay, good thing you said that post-election. We would have had yeah, to fill yeah. out some paperwork if you said that during the election. Uh, when we come back, uh, I, I want to talk about the card, not just you being on the card, but I think your influence on the opportunities for some of the, the local athletes uh, getting a chance with Bellator. I want to talk about that a little bit. Uh, weight cutting was something, something I know Hunter was talking about earlier. We'll get into as well. Eli Malay McFarland joining us here in studio Sports Center about a minute away. It's off the bench, ESPN Honolulu.
It is off the bench here on ESPN Honolulu. Hunter Hughes, Josh Pacheco. We're previewing uh, Bellator 294, Bellator 295. Who better to do it with than Ali Malay McFarland, who's mm. going to be on the uh, the main card on Bellator 295 Saturday, April 22nd uh, against Kana Watanabe. That's going to be live on Showtime. Of course, you can watch uh, at the Neil Blaisdell Arena. You can. We'll talk about tickets in a little while. Uh, Hunter, I know you wanted to ask a little bit about weight cutting because uh, you were sharing an experience that you had uh, recently, right, with uh, Yancey Medeiros and a couple of others. Yeah. Um, you know, growing up, I, uh, I played older, lighter football. That's a big part of uh, – the only way that my dad could coach me and my brother at the same time was I had to cut weight. And I remember that being extremely difficult, even at a young age. And I think for fans of MMA, they don't quite understand how grueling of a process it really is. Just when MMA or, um, Bellator was here last year, I ran into uh, Diggs and um, uh, Yancey Manderos at the 24-hour fitness over in Pearl City literally in there for hours in the uh, the sauna. And mm-hmm. so just wondered if you could kind of shed some light on that because the commitment that you guys uh, give to the sport is is really quite incredible. Yes, and, um, you know, the we always say the fight before the actual fight is the mm. fight with the scale. We literally get paid to make weight. That is our job is to make the weight. If wow. we don't make the weight, we don't get paid. We don't make our, you know, purse money um unless our opponent agrees to stay, still take the fight. So I always tell people, uh, I get paid to make weight. In my last fight, I missed weight. I did not do my job. Um, this was the first time in my entire career that I ever missed weight. Uh, yes, I've had some pretty crappy weight cuts before. Like mm. it, None of my weight cuts have ever been easy. There's no such thing as an easy weight totally. cut. When you're in a calorie deficit and you have to deprive yourself of, you know, you have to fast for a day or not drink water for a day, like, exactly. it sucks. Um, so, anyway, I ended up missing weight in my last fight. And that was when I really had to reassess my career because that weight cut was a result of my body literally shutting down. And my my everything about, like, my, my system, everything, my body was fighting infections. It was fighting injuries. And I'm just like, I don't know if I can do this anymore. Um, you know, this that was probably my 12th or 13th weight cut that I have cut, you know, 15 oh, plus 15 plus pounds um, throughout the course of a few months, you know, which is a lot. And for a female, yes. um, it could be extremely detrimental. So when- And someone who's already in shape, it's not like you can have 15 always to lose, you know, you're almost yeah. having to invent more weight to lose. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, when we talk about what I envisioned for myself post fighting yeah. everything, I've always wanted to start a family and be a mom. And so I really had to reassess my health after that fight and just be like, okay, what am I doing to my reproductive system mm. with all these weight cuts? And that's when I'm like, all right, I don't have a lot left in me. Um, so let's think about, you know, making this last run for the belt and making these my last, my last fights. Um, so with that said, you know, I did start the, my camp and my preparations for this fight a lot earlier than normal so that I wouldn't be in that same situation where my body kind of just shuts down on itself. But yeah, the weight cut, it really is tough. And, um, I, I think, uh, yeah, a lot, probably a good, I would say a good 90% of the general population would not be able to fight 
solely because of the weight cut. Um, so yeah, I give it, I give all the credit to fighters for, you know, just getting past that first, that first hurdle and, mm -hmm. and being able to step into the cage after that. Was there a point after missing weight in that last bout where you said, where you said to yourself, that's it, um, that you weren't going to come back in, 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 into the cage. Was there, was there any thought after that last time of saying I'm, I'm done? Yes, because that was the first time that my body physically responded like that. Um, normally, like I said, the weight cuts always suck, but you know, it's doable. The water starts coming off. And this was the first weight cut that I knew something was wrong. And sure enough, uh, ended up having like my, my two of my teeth were infected and needed to mm. be pulled after the fight. Like still waiting on the implant right now. So I'm missing some teeth. Um, <laughs> but like that happened. Um, my, my hair started falling out. Uh, so my hormones were all out of whack. So there was just a lot of damage that my body took as a result of, of that cut. And, um, so yeah, that's when I, again, I had to reassess everything. But once I got it back on track, you know, my hormones are good. My blood work is good. Then I'm like, okay, if I do this really smart and really, um, in a, in a very deliberate way, I can do it way healthier than I did last yeah. time. In a, a similar uh, vein of things, I've always been curious. Um, it, it's always tough for me watching girls fight in MMA and watching you guys get beat up and you guys are so tough. It's amazing. The next week or two of your life, you know, you, you got to go out in public and the interactions with with people and, you know, the looks you probably get. I'm just curious, mm -hmm. maybe when you, you you've been at it for a little while now, what is that process like? Do you do you hang at home, you know, for a little while? Do you shut it down or are you just like, you know what, I'm a fighter. I'm, I'm going to get back to regular life. <laughs> Man, I, it's, I think every fighter is so different. Like I know girls who have gone to Disneyland the next day, like Raquel Paoluhi, after one of her <laughs> fights, she like went to Disneyland and her face was all bust up. And, wow. You know, she, yeah. But then, um, uh, you know, I, I do prefer to kind of lay low a little bit. Um, just to, to let my body heal and recover. I mean, it, to be honest, like during the fight, you don't, at least I don't feel a lot of Such the hits. Right? The adrenaline is going so much. I don't even remember getting hit. And I rewatched the fight. I'm like, oh yeah, yeah. She nailed me, you know? <laughs> but, um, the next day when you wake up, you feel like a truck <sighs> ran over you. It's, it's gnarly. And it's really, it's, it's actually, I always feel that my back is always like, like I can't move my back or my neck the next day. And I think cause like you're so tense the yeah. whole fight and everything. But, um, yeah, there's been times when I was in a wheelchair the next day, uh, couldn't walk, <laughs> like, but the body, the human body is truly amazing. Yes. And you are so healthy leading up to the fight, eating clean, you know, you're not drinking, you're not, you're not putting all this toxic chemicals into your body. So you really do heal like Wolverine. Wow. Like I, it probably only takes me a couple days and then like, my bruises are gone. Everything's gone. So, um, yeah, the, the human body is truly amazing if you're good to it. Wow. Elima Lay McFarland joining us as uh, we prepare for Bellator, two live events coming up in April. You know, you're not just 
on that Saturday card. You're not just here as uh, as really the ambassador to, uh, to to Bellator and what a great job they've done in Hawaii, but your influence as well. I think one of the things I've always credited Bellator for is what they have done to give opportunities to local athletes, uh, whether it is on the undercard, whether it's, you know, you're, you're just showing up on YouTube, whatever it is, the opportunities have, uh, have led to bigger things. And uh, your influence in that is so important as well, because you're not just there. You know, we're waiting for you for the walkout and we get to see you in, in the cage, but we're, we're watching you help develop and give these opportunities. How cool is that? And what is that process like, like for you in giving those opportunities to some of these up and comers? Uh, I love it. You know, I jokingly kind of call myself the auntie, like now <laughs> in this stage of my career, I'm like auntie Ilima or mama Ilima. I actually always offer my home. So I live in San Diego and I train full time in San Diego and I do offer my home to any local fighters from the islands that, you know, want to come up to California and want to train or need a place to stay. I always offer my home house. You know, I have spare rooms that they can stay in. There have been a couple fighters that have taken me up on that offer. Um, and yeah, I just feel that I was extremely, um, you know, I'm so... I, have so much gratitude for everybody that helps me throughout my career. Mm. I did have that mentorship. I did, um, you know, right place, right time. Uh, and again, was surrounded by people that helped me through my career. And I want to offer that same help because I know it's hard being a fighter. I mean, one, just being a fighter period yeah. is super hard. You know, you, it's, it's crazy. The amount of work that you need to be, that you need to put in and you really don't make very livable wages, um, especially when you're just starting out, you know? So the sacrifices you need to make, I totally understand that. I was waiting tables, you know, all the way up until I pretty much was fighting for the belt. I was waiting tables, still paying my gym dues, you know? Um, I remember my car broke down the week of my fight and luckily, you know, a sponsor was able to help me fix it, you know? So it's just been like, I've been there. I I was slinging uh, fight shirts out of my trunk of my car, you know, trying to make extra money. Uh, so again, I, I want to help other fighters achieve their goals and their dreams. And so on top of it being hard as a fighter, it's hard, honestly, being from the islands. And, um, you know, I, I don't like this, but I feel it is better opportunity in the continental U.S. Mm. as a fighter. You know, you have more access to promotions. It's a lot of times promotions don't want to fly out somebody all the way from Hawaii and their corner, at least a lot of like small local promotions, you know. So having the ability to just be there in California and being able to drive out to a fight or something, it's just, it's, um, it makes it a lot easier. And so whenever a local fighter hits me up and they ask for advice, I'm always like, oh, come up here, come stay with me. We'll try to get you some fights up here in the mainland um, and we'll go from there. But that's why I love Bellator so much because yeah. they're freaking coming to the islands <laughs> now. Um, and we're, we're able to put those Hawaii fighters on the map. I mean, Hawaii has always been on the map in MMA, but uh, we have so much talented fighters here that just need that exposure and just need that opportunity to fight for a promotion like Bellator. And they're going to reach the top. You're calling this uh, your last ride, I believe, is what you're calling mm -hmm. it, right? That uh, this is this is your last run at the title. Um, 
what I, I know is not necessarily being promoted that way, but but talk about your feelings going into that. Um, you have put so much of your heart, your soul, your body into this sport. Mm-hmm. How weird is it to to go into this as we come up in April and say, yeah, this is however this goes. This is my last ride. Yeah. Um, well, I have to credit Billy for for that. Uh, when he was interviewing me, he needed a sound bite, and oh. I was like, I don't know. I'm like put on the spot. I don't know. And he's like, Well about this and and he asked me a question and I just responded and I was like dude I this is yeah this is my last run for the title like I don't see myself getting another shot after this um and it just made sense that I'm fighting Kana Watanabe she's number two I'm number three the winner of this fight is going to get the next title shot and I just don't think I physically have it in me to continue after that Um, so yeah, I'm like, wow, now that I think about it, this really is my last run. And I don't know when we're planning on coming back to Hawaii or if, you know, say I do win this and I do get a title shot, you know, would we fight in December on, you know, a different car? I don't think it's going to be in Hawaii. So that's why I was like, I think this might be the last time I fight in Hawaii too. So I did get kind of emotional thinking about it, but it definitely puts things into perspective and I'm going to go out there and fight. Like it's literally my last fight because awesome. it very well could be. I think my my last question for you, um, you know, you've been such an open book. I think not just with us, but I think also the the community in general. You have shared all of your highs, and you've shared more lows or or challenges than I think most people are are willing to. And I, and I think that's why a lot of people have really kind of gravitated toward you and your and your career and looked up to you and and all of that. Um, you've shared a lot about your youth and uh, some of the challenges, some of the just really ugly things that 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 happened to you and others. Um, we obviously saw in the news the the arrest of of Dwayne Yuen, uh by the feds uh, last week. I, I I know you have shared so much here in the last couple of years about how that situation affected your life. When when you got the news that the feds made that arrest, what was what what was the first thing that ran through you, knowing how much it is it has really affected you? Yep. So I got the call about a week ago, and I was actually sitting in the sauna, uh, <laughs> sitting in the sauna, cutting weight, and I get the call uh, from the FBI, and they're like, "We got him. We were we just arrested him," and I'm just like. <gasps> like the air left the left the sauna uh-huh. and I'm just like I was speechless and then I just started cheering and then I started crying yeah. and I'm just like asking more questions and so man I if anybody has been following this and follows me on social media um I have been fighting this for a few years now about right. like f- almost like 5 years um I've been fighting this and to finally um you know see him getting handcuffed and being led to the to the vehicle by FBI agents I was like I got you dude like your time was coming uh the truth was going to prevail I never doubted I never doubted uh my truth and my story there were some doubters and people that didn't believe us but I never doubted it I knew what the truth was and I knew that it was going to come out and so seeing that oh my gosh it was just like um so a flood of emotions and 
I we're still fighting this, to be honest. Right. Um, it's still going on. We're still asking for more survivors to come forward um, because we want to make sure that this guy is that never sees the light of day again. Um, so we are asking if there's any other survivors out there, which we know there are. Uh, we we can say with 100% confidence that there are other survivors. Right. Um, please come forward. Mm. You can come directly to me. I actually did, was able to meet other survivors um, on social media just by them messaging me. Um, and so please come to me. The FBI also has a hotline that you can report anonymously to. Um, but yeah, this was also uh, the timing of his arrest and the timing of the fight, you know, kind of almost like shows me what my calling is outside of fighting in the cage. And, you know, so I think that this makes it even more so like um, this fight is a lot bigger than just me fighting for a shot at the belt. It's like a way bigger fight um, that I'm going into April 22nd. I know I'm up against the clock, but I'm going to, I'm going to ask the question anyway. Um, this, there is a different, type of courage i think in in what you've showed over the last couple of years and yeah. and and beyond and how you've you've dealt with this ugliness of of what happened there is certainly a courageousness that you have to have and you know and a willingness to take punches and kicks and and, and all of that there is a certain different courageousness and vulnerability in taking something outside of that and bringing that awareness to the public I, it's it's a difficult question, I think, for me to ask because I don't know if I know how to ask it the right way, but I'll try. Where does where does that courageousness and vulnerability for you come from? Because you've handled it so gracefully in a in a situation that brings anything but when you think about it. How have you found that? How how have you been able to to bring that to the general public in the way that you have? I have had the most amazing support system from day one, the most incredible support system from my family, um, from my friends, from Bellator, my coaches, my team. And without them, um, I would not have been able to do any of this. And I know that some are not as fortunate as I am to have that kind of support, but I promise you that support is out there. You know, it might not be from your family. It might not be, um, you know, from your partner or anything but it's going to be from other survivors and I'm going to be there for you when you're ready to share your story I'll be there for you and I'll believe you and we'll work through it together so um yeah I think just providing that space providing that um that safe space for others to come forward and share their truth um that's what we need to do as a community um and as as women as other survivors we need to provide that space for each other um but like i said if it weren't for my support system wouldn't have been able to do it um and if it weren't for my belief in my story and in my truth i wouldn't have been able to do it but the truth will always come to light um so believe in yourself and uh believe in other survivors 
I know we we probably have not spent as much time on Bellator 284 and Bellator 285, and and I know we'll do that here in the coming months. But uh, I, I felt it was important that we we really talk to Elima the person, uh, you know, not necessarily always just Elima the the MMA star. Mm-hmm. And uh, and and I'm glad you you've been able to share a lot with us, uh, Elima Lay McFarland. It's good to see you. Thank you for coming by. Thank you. Thank you. Elima Lay McFarland joining us. We'll tell you more about Bellator coming back to the islands in April coming up in uh, just a little bit. Don't forget the really big road show. Growler Hawaii and Kapahulu will be back there a week from today, 5 to 7 p.m. We'll have some great guests and, and a lot to share, plus a lot of good food. About 100 drinks on tap as well, so make sure you check it out. The really big road show at Growler Hawaii here on ESPN Honolulu next week. You're off the bench. Great to have you in. It is off the bench here on ESPN Honolulu alongside uh, Hunter Hughes. I'm Josh Pacheco. Thank you to Alima Lay McFarlane for joining us for a good chunk of that three o'clock hour uh, as uh, we were talking a lot about uh, Bellator. I, I seriously, um, when we get to MMA stuff, and we've been fortunate to talk to some really, really good athletes in yes. MMA, um, I've been able to in the course of my career. Um, Elima's been my favorite to interview because she doesn't hold anything back. She's open and genuine because when when you talk to some, some of you are giving like some of them are giving like the athlete speak or they don't they don't like doing it. They're just they're they're doing it because they're supposed to. Um, but that was her second time here in what three hours. And I felt like that she treated that interview like it was the first one she did. And the one she was most excited to do, like I'm sure she treated the other six, which you know, not not everybody can do, and uh, and that's an a, that's a credit. Yeah, she, she's a true ambassador of her sport, yeah. and takes it with a lot of pride. You, you you can see the fulfillment that she gets giving young up and coming fighters opportunity. Um, I, I love what she said about uh, giving back everything that was given to her you know it it's pretty uh it, i've seen that a lot more out here with hawaii athletes and uh it, it's a sense of we're all in this together absolutely and it's uh it is really cool to uh kind of see the success and her in this last title bout um to uh to go out perhaps on top here in hawaii yeah she uh, a win gets her to a title bout um, you know, as, as, uh, she is number three in, uh, in that division, we just, honestly, we, we just need more people like her, mm-hmm. uh, not just the athletes, but we need more people like her, uh, in the industry. And she's, uh, she's setting the way for that, which is really good. Um, let's go from an MMA ambassador to our university of Hawaii baseball ambassador. And that's uh, Harrison Kuroda. Uh, you find him on spectrum sports, uh, on the, uh, the corner crew or the, uh, or, or really the uh, the next to the dugout, next to the replay booth crew, but you can't say that. That's too long. It doesn't sell. Uh, then occasionally uh, works with us for a University of Hawaii baseball. He will on Saturday night alongside Scott Robbs and Dave Kawada filling in for me as I uh, uh, keep on with basketball duty. Uh, Harry joins us now, courtesy of the Aloha Kia hotline at Aloha Kia. You know a guy, um, and we were joking. We were talking earlier, Harry. 
Um, we were joking. You're going to have to be at the uh, at the stadium all weekend because Mother Nature does not appear to be too kind to us this weekend. Yeah, I know, and I'm not even going to be able to spend it with you, Josh. I mean, that's kind of why I signed up to be a color guy <laughs> so I can sit for nine hours next to Josh Pacheco. But at any rate, I always, uh, you know, anytime that we kind of ramp up and when we talk, I know it's baseball season. So thank you for having me, and I'm, and I'm stoked that uh, season is right around the corner. I thought he was going to say, and I'm not going to spend it with you, which is the best part of the weekend. <laughs> anyway, um, let's let's talk a little bit about pitching, uh, which is one of the, mm-hmm. the the best things I get to talk to you about when we do a broadcast. I was I was talking earlier with uh, uh, Matt Troop, the pitching coach, and I was going through every one of these pitchers uh, that UH has on its roster this weekend, and I and I've come away with a common theme here over the last couple of days, and 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 maybe you can help me with this. The common theme I I. Get is there are a lot of guys who will be thrust in a lot of different roles and that tropical swarm pitching staff is no joke it is it is no uh it is no gimmick it is real and uh you may not have at any point in time anybody in a real true specific role and we might have to get used to that yeah we will um i think Past Friday night, I think Coach Hill said that they're going to go with Harry Gustin, and then on Saturday, game two, or game one of the doubleheader, they're going to go with Randy Abshire. And so, other than those two guys who, um, you know, I, I think both are left-handed, um, it's going to be a matchup game. Uh, we saw a lot of that early uh, last season with Coach Hill in his first year, um, just kind of moving around pieces. But I think as we saw about midway through through the season about game 28, game 30, you know, then you start to kind of see who, uh, who becomes your regular starters and who are the guys that then, and, and, you know, a little more defined roles, but, um, you know, offensively though, I, I think they're not going to have that at all. I think you have, you know, seven, eight guys returning from last year offensively, but, um, yeah, the pitching is going to be a real question mark and I'm excited because I thought they threw the ball very, very well. Um, I thought almost everybody on pitching staff last year got better with Coach Matt Troop and the gang. So um, I'm I'm really excited. Not not to say it is as a as a generic question, but I am excited to see Harry Gustin come back from the freak yeah. injury suffered while shagging balls on the road trip last year to now potentially being as as you were saying, Coach Hill may have mentioned uh, had mentioned if the weather plays out the way it does starting on opening night, um, there was so much potential that they were talking about with Harry last year. And, um, you know, the injury kind of sidelined that a little bit. And then, you know, he, he had some tough performances there in, in late game situations. But I'm excited to see Gustin's bounce back here this year. Well, Coach Hill talked about it this morning is that he has the best stuff. You hear the word stuff getting thrown out a lot with pitching. And, you know, the fastball is low. Low 90s, 91, 92. I heard he's up to 94. Um, and I always thought his breaking ball was really good. Um, I, I thought that the, the off-speed stuff was going to develop later. Um, unfortunately, last year he got, he got hurt, and so he, we couldn't really see, you know, the, the development of year one with, with Gustin. So um, I'm excited just because anytime that you have a lefty that, uh, that throws that hard, you know, they, that's, that's a Friday night in the Big West um, in my book. And so um, – um, yeah, so I think Harry Gustin is one of those guys that they brought in with year one, knowing that, you know, later down the line, this guy is going to be an ace or, or a starter in our weekend rotation. So um, that's why he got brought in. You know, that's why he came to the University of Hawaii. And uh, 
you know, he has a real tall task. Um, I think Wright State can hit a little bit. They're very veteran, too, as well. So, um, um, yeah, big test, game one. You know, back end of things, as we're talking with Harrison Kuroda from Spectrum Sports, and, of course, uh, you'll see him or hear him on select games here on ESPN Honolulu. I, I look at the back end of the bullpen, and, and I know Coach Troop was telling me, you know, there are several guys. There, There is no the closer. There may be mm-hmm. – uh, uh, a closer here, a closer there. You might have a couple of uh, a couple of pitchers potentially in that role. I'm looking at two guys. Uh, I'm looking at Connor Harrison and I'm looking at Ty Atkins. Um, yeah. let, let's start with Ty. You know, he had there were some control issues with Ty last year, and you know, with the the stuff that Slider um, at times looked like you know otherworldly. And then at times, yeah, I mean, guys would, would get plunked. Um, but his hard work is kind of helping him get in a position where um, they're kind of working on that and, and improving what is already kind of a, you know, a really intriguing pitcher by adding a little bit more to his repertoire. Uh, yeah, um, that's what kind of happens when you have that frisbee slider and that sidearm fastball that Ty likes to throw. But, um, you know, I, 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 you know, by the end of the season, you know, Ty Atkins is going to be, you know, he's going to have 30 appearances on the year. And so they're going to look to him to throw multiple innings, not just one inning. Um, I think it's going to be a lot like last year where, you know, there are times where he would have to come in two innings on Friday and throw one, one inning on, on Sunday. So, um, you know, he's, his workload is not going to diminish at all. I think he's going to be still the guy. Um, I think a dark horse, a dark horse might be Tyler Dybal. Um, you know, last year he only came back for that one, one or two outings that he had, but, um, looked really, really good after the surgery. Um, so I want to see what he looks like after a full year of recovery and, um, a full fall. Harrison, uh, on the football side of things, we look to see how coaches do with recruiting in their second year. This is now Coach Hill's second year. How do you expect this year to look? You know, he's gotten his feet wet. He's here. He's our coach. He now has one full year of recruiting under his belt. How do you see him establishing himself as the new head coach here at University of Hawaii? Um, I think he's fit like a glove. Um, the, the fit has been perfect for him. Um, in year two, um, you know, it's been well documented that he brought 50-some-odd guys out in the fall, and the roster got trimmed down to 40. So he brought in a lot of guys um, to create competition, and that's kind of what you want to do in college baseball. Um, you know, I, I think he's done a really nice job with, um, you know, really hammering local talent. Um, you know, again, a lot of freshmen this year from, uh, from Oahu, from the state, um, from the outer islands, and so you guys got you got guys like Matt Miura, um, who's locally prepped from Marinol, um, a bunch of outer island guys again this year. So I think he's really nailed it. Um, I really wish this weather would be more cooperative this weekend because I really think that you know because you're going to have potentially a, a, an offensive lineup uh, this weekend on opening night where you're going to have nine guys from the state of Hawaii, which is special. You know, me being a guy from Hawaii me being a Hawaii fan through and through. And so um, anytime that that kind of stuff happens, um, you know, you can get a real buzz um, down at the stadium. And so I think we're going to be missing that just because um, the weather is going to be, you know, for the most part kind of ugly. So that's uh, that kind of sucks. You know, the the uh, the offense, you kind of hit on it earlier. Um, 
one of the things that has been kind of said is this this team maybe has a little more pop this year than than last year's team did. Still the ability to play the Rich Hill style of baseball, moving guys around, mm-hmm. playing with speed. But that is kind of the the exciting part as I as I see, you know, we got to talk to a couple of the guys yesterday um, before practice started that that potential elevation of power in that lineup um, could could make a difference for a team like like you said pitching is going to be a work in progress but the bats may be ready on day one and that's kind of exciting yeah and you know i i every time that i have this prediction or every time that i have this feeling of like oh the offense is going to be so good they have a one zero win or a, or a two one win um but no, I, I think there are far less question marks with the offense because, um, you know, like you said, everybody's coming back. Everybody's a year older. Um, look at a guy like Matt Wong. Yeah. You know, Matt Wong is a guy who had graduated. He still had a, a year left of eligibility, but he elected to come back because he knew that, you know, this team is going to, you know, has the potential to be, to be real special. And so um, kudos to a guy like Matt Wong. And I think, you know, that's going to be a guy, you know, 24, 25 years old. I mean, that guy's going to have the most pop on the team just because he got some of that old man strength. Yeah, and uh, and guys like Sean Rimmer, uh, the uh, the Yavapai College transfer, and of course mm-hmm. his uh, his teammate from Yavapai, Maui's Ben Ziegler, Namoa, uh, expected to uh, to bring some fun in there offensively. And I know you'll love with Ben. Uh, it looks like he's going to go back to, to to pitching a bit too, which should which should also be kind of fun for him. Yeah, um, and and I think that's kind of uh, kind of you know, we're we're living in the era of Shohei Otani, and yeah. so when you have guys that can play two ways, um, you know, not so much on the college level, but definitely at the professional level, that's two guys. That's one guy who can do two jobs, and so that's that's humongous for uh, for for teams in the big leagues. But um, but yeah, I'm interested. Um, you know, we've seen some of the, some two way players in the past uh, for the University of Hawaii, but. Um, but yeah, if it's legit, I want to see him do both. Yeah, maybe not something we want to pass around to the workforce in general, but in baseball, we'll take it. Uh, we'll, we'll take guys that could do multiple jobs in Check baseball. Trades. Exactly. Uh, Harry, I will uh, I'll see you on Friday if there's baseball. Uh, if not, I will, uh, I will catch up with you pretty soon. Thanks so much, my friend. Be dry. <laughs> Thank you. We'll try. That's Harrison Corona from Spectrum Sports and ESPN Honolulu. He joins us like all of our guests do, courtesy of the Aloha Kia hotline. At Aloha Kia, you know a guy. Yeah, um, stay dry as I look outside, and it is, uh, it, it's is—it's—it's—it's it's maybe the last bit of sun that we're going to see for the remainder of the week. Uh, we, we get to see outside because the uh, I'm going to keep going back to the Weather Channel and uh, what they have for the uh, for the zip code at the University of Hawaii, which I believe, uh, if you do the zip code, I think it's nine six eight two two. I think is the uh, the you you would know it you, is Manoa. See, yeah, you would you would definitely know. They don't they don't. It would be easier if they just had it as Manoa. Yeah. They don't call it that. Um, they they still call it Honolulu, obviously. Um, but the ten day forecast. Are you ready, Hunter, for the ten day forecast? My hands are open. Here to receive. Tomorrow, isolated thunderstorms. Friday, thunderstorms. Chance of precipitation level 96%. Nice. Saturday, showers. Precipitation level 72%. Sunday, showers. 47%. Monday, scattered thunderstorms. 56% chance of precipitation. I need a car wash, so. 
You this can is, get this one for free. Yeah. yeah. Tuesday, thunderstorms, 65%. Wednesday, scattered thunderstorms, 53%. There is rain every day for the next, like, eight days up until February 28th, mostly cloudy and windy. But, yeah, there, there's rain and showers and thunderstorms for the next 13 days. February showers bring May flowers, right? That's how it goes, isn't it? Yeah. Um, in this uh, more than rainy season. Yeah, uh, you, you hope it brings May flowers, and you hope it doesn't bring May flooding. Oof. Yeah, uh, flash flood watch is in effect, by the way, um, through Saturday afternoon. I feel like we need a plumbing sponsor to plug right here. Um, yeah, uh, there's that. You, you know, anybody who uh, sells umbrellas uh, or no, or ponchos, <laughs> ponchos, because you can't take umbrellas to Les Murakami Stadium. There you go. Uh, Rich Hill reminded us of that the other day. Um, or uh, just stay right here. Your uh, your uh, your place that gives you traffic and weather. There we go. Every ten minutes, uh, right? Yeah, we're not a morning show. TSPN Honolulu. It's off the bench. Uh, we'll check on traffic here. Oh, Growler Hawaii. They're back again. It's the really big road show number eight, and it's coming up a week from today, five to seven p.m. Uh, check it out. We're going to have some good guests. We've got a basketball great from the University of Hawaii. We got Bob Coolin. We've got a state basketball championship coach. Uh, we are lining up some good guests, and uh, we want you to join us 5 to 7 p.m. at Growler Hawaii and Kapahulu with ESPN Honolulu. Traffic right here. You're off the bench. Sports Center update is uh, six minutes out. You're off the bench here on ESPN Honolulu at 92.7 FM and 1420 AM. Great to have you in uh, here as uh, we get through your Wednesday. All of our guests, they appear courtesy of the Aloha Kia hotline. Um, we're going to spend a little time on the NBA All-Star Game. All-Star Weekend coming up next weekend. Uh, we'll have the Rising Stars Challenge next Friday. That's going to be on uh, CBS 1500. The All-Star Game as well will be on CBS 1500. Um, but you're looking at NBA's All-Star Weekend. You're comparing it to the NFL. How so? I I really want to pose this question. It, what is a greater honor? To be an NFL Pro Bowler? Or to be an NBA All-Star? Which weighs more? Oh, man. Um, they both have kind and this is my point. I want to okay. add yeah, to make, that question. Make the point, yes. The point is both have reached kind of a gimmicky level now in the way that their prospective weeks go. Um the obviously they're different, but the NBA has this sort of captain style yeah, of a game, yeah, and they, they select the teams. the teams. Um, some of the skill competitions are okay. The dunk contest isn't what it used to be. The the, the main players aren't even in it, and so you just kind of wonder what's the point. And so I my question is, we talked about this with the Pro Bowl just a couple weeks ago. What is a better honor in pro sports? Is it cooler to be an NFL Pro Bowler or is it cooler to be an NBA All-Star? I would say it's better to be an NFL Pro Bowler, cooler or more prestigious to be an NFL Pro Bowler. Because, yeah, the All-Pro stuff, um, I think the the way the voting is done on both sides is a little bit different. That's Um, true. You know, to me, when I think of 
being an all pro or, you know, I don't think about necessarily the game. And I think actually in a way that now that the pro bowl is like the pro bowl games, whatever it is that I care less about, you know, being a pro bowler for the sake of the game. I care more about being named a pro bowler first time around. And I think we had this conversation being named a pro bowler first time around, you know, just for the sake of, well, yeah, you're a, you know, that means you are a pro bowler, you know, forget the alternates and stuff. Um, that to me means more, and it's harder to do. We'll talk about that more in a moment. We've got traffic. We've got Sports Center on the way. And next Tuesday, it's Call the Coach uh, with Charlie Wade. You can find us at Ruby Tuesday in the Moana Lewis Shopping Center at 6 p.m. Learn all about UH men's volleyball, win some prizes, and more. That's Ruby Tuesday in the Moana Lewis Shopping Center. Call the Coach with Charlie Wade next Tuesday. Traffic now. The question that we had a moment ago yeah. on uh, on our uh, our text line, which is at 808-296-1420. What is more prestigious, being a pro bowler or being an NBA all-star? Uh, which I, and I guess we should say being a pro bowler basically means you're an all-pro, all not pro. necessarily a pro bowler. Although there is a difference. Being an all-pro means you were voted on by the AP right. as an all-pro. And that that's where the difference lies, too, is because... The Pro Bowls at the end of the year, All Star Games in the middle of the year, um, it 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 tends to be weighted a little bit differently. So, like you asked me earlier, what to me means more? Uh, I would take the Pro Bowl slash All Pro. Pro Bowl, you have a, a whole year's body of work, um, and you've got a voting system that's a little more understandable. Um, I would and, and it usually would fall in line with the All Pro. So I would I would I would totally uh, go there. NBA's half the year. That, that's an interesting point. Same with baseball, where yeah. you are judged on the first half of your season when you could completely turn it around or completely tank yeah. in the second half. And I wanted to get to this point, Josh. In the interest of creating a better overall fan experience during All-Star Week, I want to propose something that would not only get a tremendous amount of fan engagement, but also, I think, a lot of buy-in from top-tier NBA talent, which, of course, would drive ratings of All-Star Week. Okay. A one-on-one tournament. One-on-one tournament. Okay. Now, I don't exactly know how they would rank players to seed them. I, I imagine... In my hypothetical world, it would be in a bracket, sort of an organization. But that would pose true uh, competitiveness between those guys. It would would pose a want to win and very, very simple understanding and buy-in with the fans of knowing what's going on. And I know those guys want to beat each other in one-on-one. I know they do. It could be a lot of fun for All-Star Weekend. I generally like it. I would love to see it. I think that players would love to do it, but I think I know who's going to say no. 
Okay. They're agents. Mm. And I think their teams may also say no as well. Um, if this were like at the end of the year, they'd have at it uh, because there's nothing to rest for, um, you know, in, in the next week or two weeks. That competitiveness can lead to some physicality um, and, you know, playing hard, playing yeah. 100%, something we don't always see in the All-Star game is playing 100%, uh, where you can kind of skate by in the NBA All-Star game and you can take some 35-footers and uh, you can run to the lane and dunk one and no one's going to challenge you and be on a poster. You know, it's different in the fourth quarter. Money's on the line. Um, you know, you don't want to lose, so there's pride on the line as well. But for the good, you know, first three quarters, it's uh, eh, it, it's chill. Taking turns. <laughs> it's, it's the best way to put it. It's chill. Yeah. Um, I would I would fear the one on one game would create the potential for injury or the potential for uh, you know you get tripped up you, you maybe turn your ankle all of a sudden you're out for a couple weeks. And then they're going to shut it down and they're going to say no. Sure. And, you know, the, the other thing with one-on-one is, you know, is a ref present. There better be. Well, that that brings in a whole other thing. Usually in one-on-one, you're calling your own fouls. Oh, that's right. So I wonder if in an organized style, and, you know, Tanner brought up an interesting alternative option to this, is a three-on-three tournament. Perhaps you put together your your dream three-on-three three and put a little bracket together of NBA guys. I'm just trying to think of some, in the same way that the, the NFL week has thought of some new and creative ways, uh-huh. why not explore this? And maybe it's, it's for the rookies. Maybe it's for guys that are unproven that would be willing to lay their bodies on the line and, and play as hard as they possibly could. So... Okay, on on that idea then, let's get rid of the rookie sophomore game. Yeah, is what you're saying. Yep. Um, well, I I think it's is it now rookie sophomore? I think it's 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 basically uh, I I think they've changed that, but it's the, basically the, you know guys who are a couple years into the league. Didn't they have like an international versus there, there was there was US. Like, like USA versus the world? Yeah. I think is what it was. I don't recall if they've. Um, They've kept that same name, but um, what uh, Rising Stars? It's the Jordan Rising Stars. They have a three-game. In fact, that's what it is. It's 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 different now. It's a um, mini tournament. Seven of the top ten overall draft picks from the last two years taking the floor. Four teams. So they've actually changed this up now, where the Rising Stars are. Uh, it's not rookie versus sophomore anymore it is uh uh they've got four teams team darren williams team joaquin noah team pal gasol and uh team who's uh who's team jason uh joakim noah no there, yeah there's joakim noah but there's uh oh jason terry oh okay it's a team of nba g league players fun yeah uh kenneth lofton jr mac mcclung scotty pippen jr so um They'll play to a target score, which will be the game will end on a main basket or a free throw rather than time expiring. So semifinal games play to a final target score of 40. Final game played to a final target score of 25 to determine the tournament champion. So it is uh, it, it's it's new. It's it's a little bit different. Does okay. that sound does that sound fun? Eh. <laughs> 
it sounds just a touch too complicated. And I'm, I'm, I would consider myself invested to at least learn about this. But yeah. as you went through the bullets of how this thing is actually going to play out, I'm, I'm like, yeah, you, you lost me already. <laughs> is it, is it sad though that the team I'm most interested in watching is the G League team? I'm with you with, with Scotty Pippen Ma- and, and Matt Jr. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I the new I, white chocolate. No, no offense to. Uh, Jabari Smith Jr. of the Rockets. No offense to uh, Jalen Green. No offense to Franz Wagner of the Orlando Magic. But uh, they should yeah, take offense. I, I, I'm kind of more interested in uh, uh, Team G League. Yep. That that actually seems like a team that uh, that could actually win the whole thing. Weirdly enough, I I bring up the one on one thing. Because the NBA, maybe more than any other professional sport, and we talked about this a little bit last week, though it's a team sport, it is ran by each team's individual stars. Right. There is so much of a showcasing and marketing of one or two guys from every team that it would suit itself for the NBA to allow those individual characters to face off. Uh-huh. apart from a team environment. And so I think they try to do that with some of the skill stuff, but you would get direct matchups with something like a one-on-one tournament. Yeah, I think if you had it at the end of the year, or if you yeah. had it as like a, an, an exhibition, um, I think it would work. I think you could actually do it. Um, I think there's too much at stake that I, I don't think you want to put a player's health on the line, especially if it's a good one that might be on a contending team. I don't I don't think you want to want to have that at stake and possibly uh mess up your season. But I mean it 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 is better than some of the other things that we've uh, we've got on the table. For example, the uh the NBA's uh slam dunk competition is frankly not interesting at all. Yeah. Not interesting. Um it is the the slam dunk competition features uh well I don't think anybody that you'd be putting, t- you know, you'd, you'd want to put on national TV. No offense to Kenyon Martin Jr. and Mac McClung and Jericho Sims. And by the way, Mac McClung, G Leaguer, not even an NBA player yet. Uh, but they're using him and his likeness. And Jericho Sims, to try G-Leaguer. to boost it. Yeah. And and Trey Murphy, the third. Yeah. Your slam dunk competition features probably zero of your top 50 in the league. Yeah. Um, watch the NFL skills competition with quarterbacks and and so on, and you're looking at top players yes. that are that are play, that are taking part in it and just going along with it, even if they're just going for the motions. They're going along. You with bring it. out an interesting point, though. It's at the end of the year. A lot of these guys don't have much else going on. First couple weeks of you know January, uh-huh. they'll they'll go to Vegas and participate in these things. Why not? It's not like they're throwing their arm out. Yeah. I mean, if you want to do that and do that separately and get a television deal for that and, and put it on TV, I would watch LeBron James going one-on-one with Chris Paul. Absolutely. Um, I would watch. Or against Giannis. Or, yeah, or against Giannis. Um, I would, I would watch that like don't, a. Don't like each other? Like yeah. Doncic against Booker? Yeah. Uh, KD versus anybody? Yeah. I, I'd watch that. Tatum against. Uh, I don't know. Put Zach that Levine. in a in a non Olympic year. Mm. Do a one on one tournament 
on the streets of no, maybe not on the streets of Vegas. It'll be like 110 degrees and nobody want to play there. <laughs> um, but put it somewhere that and definitely not on the streets because the agents wouldn't like that. Uh, you don't want to get hurt on the blacktop. Um, However, the the blacktop tournament in Paris called the Quay 54 uh-huh. is amazing. It's literally in the shadow of the Eiffel Tower. It's like the the biggest street ball tournament in the world, and a lot of top players go out there just to watch it and be a part of it. You might be surprised, even if the agents aren't a fan, if you put together a quality, fun event for those those guys to come and be a part of, they might do it. Maybe. Maybe. I feel like just the NBA is it's such a um, – they're so protective they of are. themselves, right? And and I get it, and I understand why. Fragile. Yes. Um that I just I don't I don't know uh, I don't know that you could pull it off. But out outside of the season, yeah, sure. Uh, by the way, I would watch the three point contest, which is brought to you by Starry. Basically, uh, Sierra Mist, just not called Sierra Mist anymore. Uh, it's called Starry. It's called Starry. You oh, didn't know that? Oh, what? Yeah, you didn't know that? I did not. I were you a Sierra Mist person? I was. Really? I was. Okay, so there's two. There's there's two people in the room who are Sierra Mist people, both Tanner and you. Um, Sierra Mist got canceled because, um, they had like less than 1% of the market share. So, uh, they decided they were going to rebrand it as Starry and that's an L. Ba- have you had it? No. Okay. Basically it's, um, it, it, it's, uh, it, it, what, what, what's the name of that sugar that they have in there? It's, uh, it's high fructose, high fructose corn, corn syrup. syrup. Yep. Yes. So I, I mentioned this to Tanner because about, uh, what, two, three weeks ago when I was in Riverside, um, this was like a week after they announced that they were getting rid of, uh, of Sierra Mist and they were rolling out Starry across the country. I had it before it had reached here. I, I had, I had, uh, there was a, there was a, the hotel had Starry. And so I was like, you know what? I'll pay five bucks for it, uh, for a bottle of Starry just to see. And, and I took a picture for him so I could say, I could show him Sierra Mist fan over there and found it. And I said to him, you remember what I told you at the time, right? I said, this tastes exactly the same. Like I couldn't figure out a difference, and then I had to go read the article that someone else did a taste test, and they were wondering what's the difference, and the difference was the high fructose corn syrup as compared to the real sugar. But what they also found was they also went by um, by demo, and that they were clearly targeting a younger demo because the older demo didn't like it. But the younger demo did. Interesting. And so uh, I don't know. Now that now that you know that Sierra Mist does not exist anymore, I, I apologize. That's what I, am I? I know. I'm, I'm what sorry. What am I? Tanner. The younger or the older demo? You're definitely younger. Am Tanner. I like the middle demo? You, you did not remember the old Verizon commercials, okay? Yeah. So you're definitely the younger. Yeah, demo. but younger. I also had like a bunch of concussions in high school. <laughs> clinically, CTE. clinically determined, or. <laughs> Oh, uh, sure. Or, assu- or clinically assume. Like a majority of them from the trainers. Um, I'm just going to assume. So that's clinically determined. Yeah. Punaho. So, uh, yeah. So, Tanner, uh, have you had Starry yet? No, out okay. of protest. <laughs> you now? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to ask you. I'm going to have to try. Uh, I hate the over reliance of corn in the food market, also. <laughs> so, out of for an environmental reason. It's also a terrible reason to just go to high fructose corn syrup, despite it also being 
a terrible thing to put in your body, as I am going to go home and drink a Sprite anyways. <laughs> Out of protest. Out of protest. The, uh, the, these, these two texters, it's amazing that something like this gets text messages, um, certainly bring you the, the wide variety of the spectrum on how people feel. For example, texter from the, uh, texter from the 221. Sierra Mist made me belch more than 7-Up or Sprite. Loved it. <laughs> I guess that's the... Uh, <laughs> there's there's one way to determine whether you like it or not. Uh, texter from the 722. Sierra Mist rocks. Starry ain't Sierra Mist. It sucks. Do you remember Surge? I do. Surge was great. I, I did like Surge. It was like another version of Mountain Dew. Yeah, that was a Coke product. Yeah. Um, didn't last. No. I don't know. I don't know why it didn't, but I remember it for a short period of time. Me too. Do you remember Jolt? Do you remember Jolt? Yeah. How about uh, Squirt? Remember Squirt? I do remember Squirt. Um, I'm starting to see it on the shelves here. No way. Yeah. It's making a comeback. Yeah. Don't call it a comeback, um, folks. It's well. I mean, you can find it widely more in the mainland, but I've started to notice it at, at Longs. Ooh. If how, you want to go buy a 12 pack or something. How about I'm going to shift gears. How about the Tiger Woods Gatorade? Tiger Woods Gatorade. Oh, yeah. There's a Tiger Woods Gatorade? Oh, yes, sir. What is it? Well, th- there was a whole line of flavors. Really? Yes. Okay. That was just branded to golf. How long ago was this? Well, this was like 04, 05, 06, and then, of course, the Tiger thing happened in 08. And uh, then that no went more. by the wayside. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't have it. Mm. And don't recall hearing of it either. Mm-hmm. Uh, you go grab your favorite drink uh, while we tell you about traffic. It is off the bench, ESPN Honolulu. I think Scott got his drink during the break. Uh, Scott texted in at 808 says, RC Cola. Ooh. Remember that? Of course. I have a bo- an old boss of mine. Um, from uh, from one of my old jobs, swore on RC Cola. Like any any soda he had in his little office, he had a little fridge in his office, and any soda he had, it was RC Cola. Wow. wasn't Pepsi, wasn't Coke. And then anytime I would uh, I'd be called into the office, wasn't in trouble, just a chat. Um, I was a, an avid soda drinker, by the way. And um, anytime I was uh, called into the office. That uh, offered me a soda, and that soda was an RC Cola, which you could find not at like the big stores, but you'd find them at the uh, uh, the smaller stores. Mm. So, uh, yeah, I, I I don't I, I don't I've had it, but it's been a long time since I've had an RC Cola. I'm gonna go a little healthier, but a healthy just, what? But in the same uh, family of company, this okay? show ain't healthy. Okay, Coca Cola. Also had Dasani water. Okay? Yeah, yeah. And Dasani water had a couple flavors of flavored water. There was like a lemon zest oh, water. Yeah, yeah. That they used to do, and I, I had one of those every day. Okay, I love those. I will go less healthy on that. Okay. Um, Gatorade had Propel. Yeah, and they still do. Um, I don't think Dasani makes those anymore. Right? I, I think that, that's what I mean. Yeah. Like they're just dis- they're discontinued. Yeah. Um, R.I.P. Gatorade did it right. Um, and, and I think Powerade tried to copy it. There were some Gatorade flavors way back in the day. There was one called Lemon Ice. Uh-huh. uh-huh. That was amazing. Yeah. Amazing. I I swear on the uh, strawberry, uh, strawberry watermelon. Uh, I think there's a strawberry lemonade flavor. Ooh. Uh, swear on that. For uh, the record, anytime you drink red Gatorade, 
while playing something, that, that that's just the wrong decision. You get phlegm. Really? Yes. Oh, in the back of your it looks throat. like you're bloody. And, and... Oh, it's horrible. Okay. Good to yes. know. Do not go with red Gatorade. Good to know. Yeah. Um, coming up, and this was this was uh, breaking news earlier today. They did announcement. Uh, they did announce the advisory committee for the next director of athletics at the University of Hawaii. Uh, they announced that today. It includes a couple of coaches and uh, a couple of people who are very uh, very important in uh, um, in in the community. But what I also like here is. They have a timeline to this. Um, I've, I've, we'll talk about this a little bit more coming up in about seven minutes. I am appreciative of something I've, I've, I've always liked, and that is transparency. Hmm. When you have the ability to put out a timeline and um, how you plan to go about it, and you can put that out to the general public. And you can say, you know, we got a timeline. It's tentative. It's subject to an update. But this is, you know, this is kind of what we plan on doing. They plan on hiring. Um, we're recommending the next athletic director to President David Lassner by May. Um, you know, recommending to the Board of Regents for approval in that same month. And you know who's on it. And you see position description. You see job announcement is on there. Um, an organizational chart that they put out there as part of it. Um, I, I have a lot of appreciation for how they have gone about doing this. And so mm. we'll share that. We'll, we'll talk about that coming up here in uh, just a couple of moments. We've got Sports Center on the way. Another look at traffic. Apparently, it's raining in some areas. You might have seen the last of sun for the remainder of the week in some parts of the island. It's going to get gnarly. It's off the bench. Great to be with you. It is Off the Bench here on ESPN Honolulu at 92.7 FM and 1420 AM. Hunter Hughes is here. I'm Josh Pacheco. Thanks for being along with us. All of our guests, they appear courtesy of the Aloha Kia hotline at Aloha Kia. Sia in a Kia. Harrison Kuroda was good earlier. Uh, we had him in the 4 o'clock hour talking about weather and baseball. Um, we had Alima Malay McFarlane for a good couple of segments today. She was uh, awesome. She was. Uh, not a lot on Bellator 294 and 295. Uh, that is coming up. Um, but really more about her, really. Yeah. And um, kind of the struggle with uh, with weight cutting in her last bout. And uh, her this is her last run here, as she has called it. Uh, her last run at the title, which means this if she, for whatever reason, is to lose to Kano Watanabe, we could be seeing her last bout. Wow. Uh, coming up on April 22nd. Perhaps leaving the gloves in the ring. Potentially. Um, all those bouts on Showtime at the uh, Blaisdell Arena. Uh, tickets will be on sale uh, Friday, February 17th. There will be a special pre-sale starting tomorrow, uh, by the way. So uh, go to Bellator's website for uh, for more information on that. We were talking a, a, a couple minutes before the break going into this hour, the University of Hawaii announcing its uh, search committee for the next director of athletics at the University of Hawaii. We know David Matlin is going to be stepping away in June. So um, now the time begins uh, to determine who is going to be succeeding him in that role. The, uh, the university system – Announced they have co-chairs uh, for the uh, f- 
uh, for that committee, uh, Michael Bruno, uh, provost, uh, PhD at the University of Hawaii at Manoa, uh, Susan Icor, president and COO of uh, IO. Uh, full disclosure, IO is our parent company. Um, and some of the members of that committee, uh, you've got uh, a couple of University of Hawaii coaches in Laura Beeman and Charlie Wade. Uh, Albert Chi, who with uh, you know former chair of Ahahui Koa Nui Nui, is with Island Energy. Island Energy, uh, they have a, a number of gas stations. Uh, Texaco, I believe, is uh, one of their bigger ones. Uh, Sabrina McKenna, former student athlete at the University of Hawaii and uh, Supreme Court Associate Justice, and Scott Sinnott, uh, who is professor of psychology and the uh, faculty athletics representative at the University of Hawaii. And they do have uh, uh, an ex officio and Deborah Ishii, a search advisory committee support member uh, from the University of Hawaii. I- I'll speak for myself and I'll bring you in on this, Hunter. Um, I appreciate the transparency that I think we're getting here. Um, they have a site here that is specific to the executive search for the director of athletics, and it has everything from the announcement and the application, the description of the position, you know, all the stuff that you you kind of expect. It's a five-page position description. There's there's a lot that a uh, director of athletics um, for a Division One program has to have. Um, I, I know you're going through the chart right now. It's uh, it's actually kind of uh, kind of interesting to see. The flow charts for a director of athletics uh, going from the president to the office of the athletic director, everything down to student services and computer services and um, sports marketing and tickets and, and all that stuff and how that flow chart works. It's, I've never seen I, I've seen it in our industry. I've seen it in other industries. I've never seen it in this one, and it's actually kind of cool. It is, and it's pretty amazing that they're making this information kind of known Yeah, or available. That, that's a better word, available for public use Yeah, because um, it, it is kind of a mystery sometimes of what does an athletic director do? Uh-huh. We know that he's kind of the boss of all these coaches over there. He's not the president of the university or the chancellor. And so it's interesting to kind of see the flow of whoever they do end up hiring, this will kind of be his jurisdiction. And you can kind of see that right here. Um, But then the other thing you bring up, Josh, that search advisory committee, that was our question last week when we were – kind of diagnosed in Steven Sy's article That's about right. yeah. who's out there, feel free to apply if you're interested. It's it's at least a little assuring to me that we have people and our, our very own Susan Icor, uh, I might add, that uh, are in the position to find our next our next athletic director. And I like that they're including two current active UH coaches involved in that because they need to weigh heavily in on this decision as well. And not only active UH coaches, but fairly tenured um, UH coaches. I I know one of the the things that I've heard um, in the last couple of hours since this came out, and I think this came out around uh, around 12-ish or maybe just before that, was, well, we don't see see football here. Hmm. And to me, my thought is, well, Timmy just got here. Not only that, 
but uh, football is not the only sport in the institution. It may be your biggest one when it comes to funding and how that funding supports other sports. Um, but it is not always the be all end all. And frankly, um, you know, it's, it's good to be able to hear from, from coaches that have been there for a while that have, um, seen a lot, you know, they've, they've seen the effects on programs before, during, and after COVID, just as the current athletic director, David Matlin has had to oversee a department before, during, and after COVID. And, you know, in, in both Coach Beeman and, and Coach Wade, you know, two coaches that are, I think, fairly well connected within the community. Yeah. Um, not just Yeah. Not just because of their success, but they're just likable people. Yeah. They're likable people and people gravitate to them. And and that's kind of – you kind of like to see that uh, when you're trying to find that next – because that next athletic director – it does need to be a likable person to a degree does need to make some tough decisions that might create some enemies and, and might create some friction here and there, but does need to be at least within the community, fairly likable. Um, and you've got to have several people of that kind of um, character to be able to find that. Yeah. Back to football for a second. That's also the team that has the most consistent turnover mm, at the head coaching job as well. Good point. We, we brought it up yesterday talking about the late, uh, Coach McMacken, since letting him go, we started this process of every four years, and in Graham's case, two years, a new head football coach. So maybe that team, from a university standpoint, a an infrastructure organizational standpoint, maybe we don't bring them involved in this decision because, well, Timmy just got here. Yeah, and not, I, I think in most big universities, I think football is going to have the most turnaround anyway. You're going to have the most coaches. You'll have coaches leaving for bigger jobs. You'll have coaches who are let go. Yeah, you're right. Um, Unless you've got someone there who's been coaching for like 10 years. Yeah. um, And has had success and has, you know, seen good, you know, great community support, then fine. Um, But, you know, this shows, and I I think the selection of those two, it does show to me that it is bigger than football, and I I appreciate that. So the timeline that's been put out, the uh, search has been announced, job has been posted, continuous recruitment until position is filled is is for this month. Next month, they'll start reviewing applications. Um, Next month and into April, they'll do screening and they'll do interviews. And then in May, uh, the committee recommendation will go to President David Lassner, Lastner, however he feels about that recommendation, will take that recommendation to the Board of Regents for approval. My only question on the timeline, and again, I'm, I'm, I'm appreciative that there is a timeline that we can look at. Um, I'm not sure how many places uh, would, would give us that timeline. You know, Maybe it's not by the day, but to the month. We know things are fluid. It is subject to update. They call the tentative. Um, that's uh, that's just pretty open of a book as, as I think we can get from them, and I appreciate that. Um, to me, this puts the onus on the president of the Board of Regents to a degree mm. because how much of a um, – how much of, a, of, of an overlap will there be with the new athletic director – and David Matlin, because I do believe that there has to be some time where the current or the new athletic director, not necessarily shadowing. I'm expecting whoever's hired is seasoned, is seasoned enough, 
knows a few things, not like they don't know how to run an athletic department that they have a pretty good idea to. They don't need to shadow. They just need to kind of see the lay of the land and meet the right people, talk to talk to this person, talk to that person, and basically have David Matlin kind of help with the connections. How much of an overlap will there be, I think, is is my big question. And to me, that comes down to how long it takes for the president to make the recommendation to the Board of Regents and when the Board of Regents makes the decision to vote on uh, on approval. Because you get to May, June is going to be right around the corner. June 1st is going to be there right before you know it. And I think it would be a little unfortunate if you don't have a at least a week. Hmm. If you know, if not, I would have. I, I personally would like to see two weeks, but at least a week of an overlap. And I'm sure, I, I, I could be wrong, but I'm sure David Matlin probably may spend some of his own time, you know, trying to help in that department. He's not. He seems like someone that uh, would be willing to answer a phone call here and there and uh, make a connection here and there if asked. Um, he cares about the university. I think cares about its success. Um, but I think that's my only thing is, is on that timeline. That is somewhat of a quick turnaround on that timeline um, to, to bring that new person in. Yeah, it's – you bring up timeline. It's an interesting time for us to get a new athletic director right now. Put the new stadium on the side. Put the new adjustments to lower campus and the athletic facilities that are in place. Put that on the side right now. You know – We've got a new football coach. He's in the second year of his contract. We're a few years away from needing to even address that again, that team. Yeah. And then you look at the rest of the teams right now. I don't have everybody's contract in front of me right now, but anything aside from a random I'm out of here retirement from one of these coaches, a lot of these teams, it seems like, are in a pretty good place. For sure. Yeah. And so – from a uh, putting up fires point of view, maybe there's not as much fires as what it seems UH has had to go through in just the last three years. With the COVID situation, everything we had to go uh, go through with the new stadium, closer of Aloha Stadium, um, the, the whole Todd Graham debacle, hiring a new football coach then as well. It's It seems like things for at least the time being have kind of calmed down. So yeah. it it's it seems like this is as good a time if ever if we could choose one to bring in someone new. I will also say, and actually, we'll we'll talk about this coming up on the other side of the break. Um, you know, I am in a way it, it's kind of a good thing that that David Lasner's not not David Lasner. Um, David Matlin's not on this committee, um, even though he's still going to be on the job up until the beginning of June, and I'll, and I'll tell you why. Um, that I think it's 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 a good thing both for the department. I think it's it's good for him. Yeah. Uh, I think we'll talk about that coming up here on the other side. But first, an M Dyer Global scoreboard. It's brought to you by M Dyer Global, moving Hawaii into the future. College basketball sees another upset today. Uh, we are closing in. March Madness is a month away, um, and so uh, on the college basketball floor tonight. How's about the upset coming from number 10 Tennessee knocking off number 1 Alabama 69 to fi- uh, 68 to 59 11th ranked Marquette over number 16 Xavier 69 68 number 7 Virginia on the road a 61 58 win at Louisville 
Uh, also in the top 25, number 14, Indiana, trailing at Northwestern, 42-27, a couple of minutes into the second half. Top 25 matchup in the Big 12, number 22, TCU, is trailing number 19, Iowa State, 41-26. That's on ESPNU, 17-45 to go in the second half. Game we're watching out of the Big West tonight, UC Irvine, UC Santa Barbara, 13-10 uh, to go first half. You can watch that on ESPN+. Plus. Irvine's up 10-9. And in the NBA, uh, just a few minutes in, Lakers 12-2 lead on the New Orleans Pelicans. That's on ESPN Television. That's your M. Dyer Global scoreboard, brought to you by M. Dyer Global, always on the move. Traffic here, more on the uh, AD search, and more coming up. It's ESPN Honolulu. You're off the bench. Sports Center update is in about eight and a half minutes. You're off the bench. Hunter Hughes, Josh Pacheco, ESPN Honolulu. Uh, we're talking about the University of Hawaii, who uh, announced its executive search committee uh, for the next athletic director. There is a timeline. Uh, they hope to have approval by the Board of Regents by May of 2023. David Matlin would be leaving the post um, in June. I think we tackled a couple things. Um, one, the transparency, which I think is um, it's refreshing. Um, I, I like the fact that they've dedicated some time to that, and they've made that I think pretty clear for the uh, for for the general public. Um, I think they've got the right people on this committee, especially when we talk about coaches. I won't speak as much to the business sector. That's not my that's not my forte. But I can speak to those who are you know coaches. And I, I think I think we both agree they've got the the right people on there. Mm-hmm. David Matlin, the current athletic director, is not on that committee. I don't know if he would have been allowed to be anyway, but I'm, I'm kind of, in a way, I'm, I'm glad he's not, and, and I'll tell you why. I think there's, there's two reasons why. One, I go back to the, um, the, the Circle of Honor announcement uh, mm-hmm. a couple of weeks ago, and he was, he was named to the Circle of Honor class. And there was some, um, there was some complaining about that. Um, you know, how could he be on that circle of honor class when, um, you know, he's still the athletic director? Is this because he's the outgoing AD? Like, this doesn't look right. And, and it, I think there are people who don't realize, A, not on the committee. Yep. He didn't ask for it, certainly. Um, B, someone else nominated him um, and and the committee when they when they voted felt in their mind that he should be a part of that circle of honor class. Um, the the negativity kind of put on him is unfair because yeah. he had nothing to do with it. And, you know, it, it it's unfortunate because it it created kind of this negative optic in people's minds that never existed in the first place, but without kind of knowing the the behind the scenes stuff or what wasn't there behind the scenes. Um you know, you know how it is with with social media, and sometimes with misinformation, some some of that stuff goes out, and you know people don't don't let that slip. I think we both know uh, David Matlin. He does not like to be in front of the no. cameras, and he does not like to be in front of you know he does not like to be the star of the show. And so you know that I, I'm sure that that was probably a little uncomfortable, you know, to to no fault of his own. Yeah, totally. And so. In this instance, when when it comes to finding the next athletic director, like I'm kind of in a way happy that I'm I'm sure people will ask him questions and, and, and that and that nature, 
But it is such an important time right now in closing out the year that he continues to do what he does best. As you said it during the break, right? It's a it's a thankless job sometimes being an athletic director. Um, but when sometimes when it is thankless, it means it's quiet, and that's that can be a good thing. And he's done that, I think, fairly well. And I, I want to see at least that that stability until he decides that, you know, until that date when he decides to go. Yeah, it's it's one of those unique jobs in sports where we only think that you're doing a good job when we don't hear from you. Yeah. Or hear how you are doing at your job. It's not something where we want a celebrity as an athletic director. You are the person kind of pulling the strings and mm-hmm. helping the marionettes dance and help right. them do their their job properly. Um, but, uh, you know, if, if one of those strings starts to snap, everyone starts pointing fingers at you. And that, that that's the part that uh, it, it takes a special person and a special person to do it here in Hawaii. Yeah. So uh, I think you'll be, you know, I'm, I'm glad that he'll be kind of focused there. I think over the the, the the next couple of months, um, I'm sure there will be questions, and I'm sure he'll offer guidance whenever whenever asked. But we know where kind of his focus and intent will lie, and that, I think that's a that's a good thing moving forward, especially for those that need things in the immediate. Uh, that's a pretty good thing. Traffic here. Call the coach Charlie Wade uh, coming up next Tuesday, Ruby Tuesday in the Moana Lewis Shopping Center. It starts at 6 p.m. It's off the bench. All right, coming up, uh, final thoughts. I'm gonna come up with a name for it for the final segment. What's it? What's it called? The uh, the final thought portion of the show. Hmm. We'll think of it at some point. We're we're still kind of early in this. Off the bench, ESPN, Honolulu, Hunter Hughes, Josh Pacheco. Let's go. Let, let's uh, let's let's do the feel good stuff today. Perfect. We've got all the feels. We've had we've had just such different ebbs and flows of this show. Mm-hmm. Uh, so let's start with this feel. Michael Jordan is going to turn bleeping 60 years old on Friday. Oh, man. What the heck? That's crazy. Um, I was I was telling you during the break, and, and there's a reason why this is topical. Um, Michael Jordan, to me, looks like he's like 47 years old. Yeah. Um, still looks like he could be feared with a basketball in his hands and a head of steam if he's dribbling all the way up the floor. But, man... Uh, 60 is not something I can wrap my head around. And I feel like I'm going to say the same thing when Tom Brady turns 60 years old. In two and years. I'm gonna, yeah. And I'm going to say, hey, Tom Brady's 60. I'm going to do the, uh, the, the, the Chris Berman whoop. Yeah. And then just do a double take that I should never do that again. And I've said that now three times. But uh, when it's Jordan, it's, it just still hits hard, even though it's been a while since he's played. That's right. You know one part of his Hall of Fame speech, which was questionable, by the way, if you ever okay. want an interesting thing to watch, wasn't a real big fan of that, and I'm a diehard Michael Jordan fan. However, he mentioned one thing in his Hall of Fame speech about, I actually don't like that I'm up here because I've always felt that I could still come back and play. <laughs> and people all laugh just like that, but that guy is so unhealthily competitive. Yeah, There's my... Made up word for the day. Unhealthily. 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 To, uh, what, what was the word yesterday? Uh, it was crisply. That's right. Oh, yeah. He asked me. He texted me after the show. That's and said, right. What was, what was the word that I came up with? Yeah. Unhealthily 
is a word in the Oxford Dictionary. Yes. So you did not create a word Wow, today. okay. Yeah. There we go. It's an, it's an adverb. I'm getting more... Uh, I'm getting more versatile with my vocabulary. I knew I was going to need to work on that as we step into this new show. But Unhealthily, in a way that shows or suggests that somebody does not have good health. Michael Jordan does not have good health in connection to his competitiveness. <laughs> now so now we've that, morphed the definition right. a little bit. Okay, Jordan would find a way. I really believe he would find a way. It wouldn't be for an extended amount of time, yeah. but he could get con- he, some good minutes on the court. I really do believe that. He wouldn't be able to drive past people, but he could hit shots. I know he could. 60 years old. Whew. If you were challenged to take him on one-on-one, would you do it? Absolutely. Do you think you could beat him? No. At the age of 60? Chance. <laughs> in heck. There's no way. I would, I would be more likely to hit a Garrett Cole fastball right now uh-huh. than to beat Michael Jordan in one-on-one, even at 60. Okay. Absolutely. Okay. Uh, man. They're also we still have to set up a challenge on uh, on, on you hitting a softball. So there's that. I would it's love my, that. It's got my wheels turning on that. Um, I don't know. I've gained a little more confidence in basketball because before practice the other day, uh, I got in while the team was still watching films. So the Let uh, fly a little the, bit. The, the court was open. Uh, knocked down my first shot from three, Ooh. and then uh, got to the free throw line because they teach you the fundamentals. Uh-huh. You know, they, they actually I, I didn't do the fundamentals. They say you know start at the low block That's and start right. moving back. Warm I up. started with a three and hit it, and then missed my next six. There we go. And then decided to go to the free throw line, knocked down five in a row, and I said, you know, if I can Jor- hit some shots. If Jordan cared, but I'd get zeroed out by Jordan. If if Jordan cared, you would not make a basket. And I know he'd care. Me, me too. Because like, it's it, that unhealthily, <laughs> as you said, that unhealthy competition that would right. make sure that he did not care. Uh, but the reason why uh, Michael Jordan's coming up today is not because he's turning 60 on Friday, but it's because in the timeliness of him turning 60, he is going to be making the biggest donation ever from an individual to Make-A-Wish Foundation, a $10 million donation um, in which he said, and I quote, um, For the past 34 years, it's been an honor to partner with Make-A-Wish and help bring a smile and happiness to so many kids. Witnessing their strength and resilience during such a tough time in their lives has truly been an inspiration. Close quote. He wants to allow this to continue. He's been doing this since 1989. He's granted um, uh, hundreds of wishes, they say. He's like uh, like John Cena does now from the WWE. Now you're learning about it because you got banned from watching wrestling when you were a kid. Can't see me. You know now. I'm learning. Um, but uh, he's the chief wish ambassador back in 2008. And so he's done a lot of work that probably most of us have never known about because we'd never think of Michael Jordan as someone you know doing make-a-wish grants. But he's done them. And uh, now we see him giving back monetarily as well. That's awesome. Yeah, it's, it's, it's one of those f- – from an entrepreneur standpoint, I don't know if there has been a better – athlete after their career mm-hmm. now part of that is on him part of that is just because of the timing yeah. of nike and the the air jordan line and everything that exploded him beyond time and space f- from after his career till now any retro jordan pair of shoes sells out in hours still to this day it's it's pretty incredible 
Um, but the, the fact that he chooses to do anything good with that is a testament to the kind of person that he is because he doesn't have to do that. It's his, it's his money and it's it's his right to do with it as he chooses. If he wants to go off and live on a private island or you know start his own NASA campaign to go up against Elon and do it, he, he has the right to do that. But uh, that is an awful lot, a lot of, of money to help out kids in need. And you can't help but root for MJ. You know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be cheesy. I want to be like Mike today, oh, hearing that news. Oh, you did it. Have you to. You did it. If Michael Jordan were to go up against Elon Musk and start his own social media website, what would it be called? Not planned. Just figured I'd ask the question since you said Elon Musk's name. A new social media? Yeah. With with Jordan at the back? Yeah. Airtime. Okay. I, I was I was thinking um fade away. Ooh. Um but airtime's better. Airtime is airtime is better. Um Airtime social, but you know that, that also that almost sounds like one of those cheap cell phone plans <laughs> <laughs> that that you go down to the big box store and they give you a flip phone and plans start at nineteen ninety nine. Should we just create this and and pitch it to them? No, it, you can. I I, I don't want anything to do just with too it. Much on I don't. Plate. I, don't <laughs> I, I have too much on my plate, and then I don't I don't want to have to go face a hearing on. Uh, uh, you know the 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 internet and how they're censoring people. Oh, yes. and I don't want nothing to do with that. All right, um, staying on the on the side of uh, the good news here in this segment, um, something that you and I maybe can relate to. Maybe I don't think I can. Um, the everyday average Joe coming up with the not so everyday average win. This happened in tennis, and this happened in uh, Delray Beach, the ATP Tour. Saw Jack Sock. He's competed in majors. He's a well-known American, number eight in the world. Jack Sock got a real estate professional on the other side of the draw. His name is Matija Pekotic. He is a director at a real estate investment firm. He's a part-time tennis player, full-time real estate professional, and he beat Jack Sock 4-6, 6-2, 6-2 on Tuesday to move to the round of 16 to face Marcus Giron uh, in the Delray Beach Open. Amazing. Amazing. It, I, do, do we have information on if he is technically an amateur temp, tennis He's player? He's not because okay. he does have a ranking. Oh, okay. Um, he he had a career high ranking seven eighty four. Okay. Back in uh, no, um, he's now world seven eighty four. Okay. Career best was eight years ago. He was ranked two hundred and six. Okay. And then he had a bunch of injuries, and that kind of set him back. A bit. I was just curious if it was like golf, where you can still earn your way. Oh, like in, an amateur. That's right. Earn your way into an open or a tournament as an amateur. But you, you don't take the winnings. You don't take any of the winnings. I don't think he's considered an amateur here because okay. he has he does have a ranking. Um so here's so here's the thing. In order for him to compete in this tournament, he had to leave work early. Um, this is this is sounding <laughs> familiar. There is a certain um Eddie winner yes. who won his event while he was working. He took his breaks when it was time for him to surf. And what does he have now? An Aloha Kia commercial. Um, 
I mean, it, it, now you've got a real estate professional leaving work early. He said, I had to leave work early today. I had to send an email to the whole team. My boss let me off. I'm going to have to ask for another day off tomorrow in order to go play uh, Marcus Giron, uh, who's ranked 55 in the world and beat a quarterfinalist, Ben Shelton, in the first round. Ah, uh, what's number 55? It just beat number eight. Yeah. Uh, that should be easy then, right? I watched the highlight. The dude can move. Mm-hmm. In fact, I, I – By the I, way, he lost today, 6-3, 6-3, so he's out. Oh, bummer. Yeah. Now, I, I will say, watching the highlight of th- this win, he looked more like the professional than that sock guy. Uh, Which is strange. Uh, yeah, like literally watching the two of them move – he looked like he was meant to be there more than the number eight player in the world. Mm-hmm. So to keep yourself at that level of shape, that level of technique and precision, because tennis is a difficult sport to play professionally. Right. Very, very difficult and very demanding. This is very impressive that he's able to hold down a full-time job and to do it halfway decently. It looked like he's a director of of some kind (laughs) at his real estate firm. So, man, kudos to this guy, man. That that is uh, something you can tell your buddies for forever. First time with the win, he found himself in the main draw of an ATP tour event. Wow. Just by uh, just by winning. He was supposed to be in the Australian Open in 2016, had surgery on his stomach. So then he decided uh, he was going to, uh, I think he went to Harvard Business School, put professional tennis on the side and hit the books and, um, you know, decided he was, he, he became what a volunteer assistant coach at Harvard. And then, yeah, he, he became a, uh, a, a titan in the, uh, the real estate world, the director of capital markets for Wexford Real Estate Investors. Okay. That's a $4 billion investment firm. Um, I think he's doing just fine. Yes. Um, he also hits the gym each day and enjoys a run after work. Sounds like uh, most typical. Sounds people. like the new contestant on The Bachelor. Well, I need, we need to figure out if he's married first before we start having those conversations. Otherwise, that could be really, really awkward. Uh, we'll check on uh, we'll, we'll check on traffic here coming up in a little bit. Tanner has the microphone next do, to him. I yes. do want to correct something. Yes. Jack Sock at one point in his career was number eight. For, he's former world number former eight. Former world yeah. number eight. He was like 145 but still, at the time of this. That's still you know, pretty impressive, though. A real I mean, estate guy, Tanner. Yeah, yeah like 145. Come on, man. Yeah. I'm kidding. Jack, Jack Sock. for the context. That's Jack, helpful. Yeah, Jack Sock was not. If it was number eight now, that would have been absolutely insane. Still impressive, though. Um, Jack Sock was not seated in this tournament, which which should be noted. Um, but still, that's a that's a pretty impressive uh, pretty Tanner impressive shooting win. down our balloon. Too Did soon. the president give you an order to do that? <laughs> Uh, traffic on the way. Final thoughts when we come back. It's off the bench. ESPN Honolulu. Final thoughts uh, coming up in just a moment. It is off the bench here on ESPN Honolulu. Hunter Hughes, Josh Pacheco, and we have some developing news um, just off of Twitter here a moment ago. Uh, our own Tanner Hayworth with this Twitter post, and I quote. I know everyone has been asking, and yes, I will be applying for the Hawaii Athletics Director opening, close quote. Um, we see as soon as he posted this, 
Uh, we have learned more breaking news. Two things that disqualify Tanner Hayworth from the job of director of athletics at the University of Hawaii. One, Tanner still needs to graduate from the University That's of Hawaii. Right. You need a bachelor's <laughs> degree. That's right. Uh, Tanner, keep plugging away at that. Uh, how, many, how many more credits do you need? Enough. Okay, enough. so he, he needs he, there are enough credits that he needs. I'm not really a math guy, just a good number. Just just until they tell him to leave is basically what it is. If that's not enough of an invitation to follow Tanner on Twitter, I don't know what else is. Uh, yeah, at Tanner Hayworth. Uh, but here's the other breaking news, the other disqualifying factor as to why Tanner Hayworth uh, is not fit to serve as athletics director at the University of Hawaii. Is this tweet, and I quote, my first action will be demanding the return of the rainbow teak. Close quote. Um, Tanner, 1995 called. They want their business model back. Brick and mortars are done. Uh, <laughs> that's why Rainbow Teak has gone the wayside and we've gone to buying things online. Tell me when you see a Fanatics store in person. Hint, you won't. It's all online. There, there are no Fanatics stores. Tell me the next time you see a Champs Sports you may not. They've they've been There's one in Alamoana. Yeah, that's a Footlocker. No, there is also one in Alamoana. The Kahala one just There's closed. The Kahala one just closed. That was actually that's been closed for almost a year and a half now. <laughs> I used to go to that champs all the time just to hang out. Uh, yeah, I, look, I'm a brick and mortar guy. Okay, I'm a. I was born in '99. I'm still basically a '90s kid, almost. Not. Tanner's a brick house himself. Look, yeah, I. I enjoy. Finding places to loiter in my free time. <laughs> Is that too much to ask for? Uh, that's what they created big box stores for, uh, that you can loiter and find a corner and not be seen. Uh, or go upstairs and find the electronics section uh, at the big box store next door and just watch TV all afternoon and evening and no one will bother. Um, yeah, I mean, I hey, I miss Rainbow Teak. I do. Um but, uh, but yeah, we know that's not the business model anymore. Um, they do have a uh, bookstore for that. I still do think, though, as, as, as much as I say that 1995 wants its uh, um, business model back, we talked about tourism a lot, right? Yeah. The University of Hawaii did have a store at the airport, and it has not reopened. And I feel like with so much foot traffic that goes through the airport – Whatever happened to the University of Hawaii store at Honolulu at uh, Daniel K. Inouye, Honolulu International Airport? It is that's the one right next to the sushi stand, which is not a stand anymore, and I think now is like a grab and go. Yeah, um, that's a that's a shame because I think you can make a lot of money from tourists who did not get to buy H apparel. Um, and may not get to go to campus to the bookstore. Duty-free Hawaii gear. Yeah. Um, well, the duty-free closed in Waikiki, mm-hmm. however many years ago during the pandemic. They've started reopening at the airport. So I feel like there's a lot of money being left on the table by not having a place to buy your last-minute H gear before you go back home as a gift. Because how often do you go on vacation and uh, and, and your girlfriend's like, um, what did you get me? And as you you get to the airport and you realize you didn't grab something, you say, oh, bright idea. There's a store where I can buy something from at the airport, and there's your gift, and she doesn't have to know. Yeah, Hawaii gear is just niche enough that, it is. Uh, that you look like you took the time to go by campus. Yes. 
Yes. For the sake of relationships, last night was Valentine's. Uh-huh. H&L, open the store back up. <laughs> Wait, how did we get from uh, Valentine's to uh, to that again? Well, you 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 mentioned oh uh, for, for the sake of grabbing something oh, for okay, your, gotcha, your girlfriend. Gotcha, 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 gotcha. I was wondering where that was going. I was like, Wait, this is the Aloha state. We want to send people off well, yeah, know, and, and to bring them back, yes, as well. So, just a thought. Whoever whoever's in charge of that, uh, bring that back. Hey, uh, uh, really big roadshow at Growler Hawaii next week, five to seven p.m. Make sure you join us off Kapahulu. We've got a great guest list. We've got beers on tap. We've got uh, great food. So come by, say hi to Bill and the gang at Growler Hawaii and Kapahulu for the really big roadshow. All right, uh, final thoughts. You first. Final thoughts. I today is Wednesday. Really. Really looking forward to seeing Tiger Woods tee it up tomorrow at the Genesis Open. Going to be the first round, his first official PGA Tour round of 2023. Uh And uh, it's supposed to be a little cold, which is not going to be good for his leg. But uh, at the same time, it's Big Cat. Never know what he can do. I did see a tweet today uh, from someone from Barstool who said, uh, Tiger Woods didn't make it to the 18 at Riviera in one piece. There we go. <laughs> it's uh, it, it's it's the little wins, right? It is. I mean, for him, it's it's. Can you make it through four rounds? I I thought of him whenever Eva Lay was talking about her routine has shifted now that she's you know in her thirties in, uh-huh. in this this point of her career because Tiger has been very open about to play around at seven a.m. He's got to be up by three a.m. Yeah, to begin his his PT and his warm up routine. So it's. It is not easy to play at that level when you're at that stage of your life. No doubt. Uh, my final thought today, uh, Sonic Drive-In is uh, opening their first location in Hawaii. No way. They are. It's on Maui. Um, that's going to be opening up on Monday. drive through service, patio seating, the drive-in stalls that you know and love, and they're going to have their own um, uh, special uh, menu item. Um, that's going to be the Sonic Teriyaki Burger, wow. uh, that they did with, uh, with Aloha Shoyu Company, which is, uh, which is kind of neat. I'm still waiting for the Sonic here. I'm still waiting for the Kemoyatsu brothers. They were the ones that were supposed to be behind it, uh, to open up the Sonic drive-in on Oahu. Uh, that has not happened yet. Um, I've, I've had mine on the mainland. So I guess I've gotten my fix. I'll go get my fix when I go leave on Saturday. But why are we still waiting? We'll see you tomorrow.